how kind and beautiful of God to, in a, in a portion of the passage where we're at, where it's very intimate and small gathering, <laughs> we have an intimate gathering. We get to look at it together and um, I'm just thankful for God's kindness towards us. If you've been with us, you know that we have been in the Gospel of Mark for a long time now, and it has been um, super encouraging to see Jesus both as the promised Messiah, as the one who had come to redeem a people to himself, but also as a very human man, um, the, the fullness of God in both deity and humanity. And so we've seen Jesus, we've seen the way that he interacts, and Mark, of all the Gospels, is particular in stressing and pointing to Jesus' humanity, the way that he interacts with people. We saw it just a couple weeks ago with Mary and his interaction with Mary um, at Bethany, and Mary pours out worship, right? And Jesus, the the other disciples, it's not just a, a human picture of Jesus, it's a human picture of all those that would gather in this Gospel. And so, in their sin, they they tell her she's wrong, and Jesus comes and he defends her, and he stands up and says, listen, what she's done is a beautiful thing. And forever it's going to be remembered of how she has worshipped me. We've seen it in his patience with the disciples as they continue to not get it. So that's good news for us, right? We continue to not get it. And yet, God is patient and kind to us. Um, we've seen it even in his humanity, even in the grief of the betrayal of Judas last week. And so all of this is, is the very human portion uh, of Jesus, but we've also seen the divinity of Jesus on display. His, his power as a son of God. Remember his baptism in the very beginning? Right? The heavens open up and a voice comes from heaven and it says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Like if we were there, we would have been blown away and in awe of the power that's manifested there. Like the, the supernatural portion of that. That we heard a voice that was not coming out of someone's mouth, but it was coming from heaven. We've also seen the miraculous healings that took place. Right? Withered hands made whole. Lepers who were outcasts and shunned because of the very contagious disease that they had. They were, they were cleansed and made well. The, even the dead being raised back to life. So we've seen Jesus both in his, in his humanity and his aspect of, uh, of being the perfect human, the, the better Adam, and we've seen him in the, as the one who is in control of all things. Jesus even displayed his power over nature, right? Calming the storms and the waves. Today we get to see where Jesus comes and he meets with his disciples in the upper room. And he gives them both. He gives them uh, the, the teaching that he gives is the, the new covenant that he declares is very spiritual and it's an atonement and it's something that we take in by faith but he also gives them something very tangible. He gives them the broken body and the cup, the, the, the broken bread and the cup which represent his body and his blood poured out. The display of that truth is the way that he commands us to remember this very true and very real heavy doctrine of atonement but we do it in a very simple way by taking the bread and the cup together. So let's ask God to open our hearts by His Spirit. We may by faith take hold of the gift of communion and what that means this morning. Will you pray with me? God, if we would hear Your Word today, if it would take effect, if it would change us, 
it would be because you have spoken it and we have heard it by your spirit. And so we would ask, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, may we see your beauty today, your fellowship with the saints, Lord, the the sinners that are being redeemed, that are in the process, Lord, and, and you're patient and kind with them, even as they've already betrayed you and will abandon you, Lord, we see you and your love for them. God, and we know that you love us today. God, I pray that you would speak a, a deep truth to our hearts, that we believe it, that we cling to it, that as we go and, and other truths try to invade, that we would continue to stand firm on the truth that, that the Lamb of God was slain for us, that his blood was poured out for us, that we get to partake of the bread and the body, the righteousness of Christ, the life of Christ. We thank you that you have given us both today. Help us to believe it. Help us to see it in your word. And we trust you. In in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're just in a couple of short verses, um, but there's really kind of three aspects to this dinner that's taking place, this dinner party that the disciples are having with Jesus. We have one meal, but it represents three different meals. It represents a past meal. Uh, They're remembering the Passover meal. It represents a very present meal because Jesus is in that moment instituting this new thing. And it also points forward to a future meal. A future meal that Jesus says that that when the kingdom comes and it's complete, that that we'll dine together again. And so um, we're going to look at it from those three perspectives. The past meal. Verses Verse 22, just the first half of it, it says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. We talked last week uh, um, about how Jesus sent his disciples right into Jerusalem. And it was late. Normally, if you're going going into Jerusalem for Passover, you've already made plans. But Jesus sends them at at the last minute into Jerusalem. And we saw that that Jesus knew exactly what they were going to find. And so Jesus sends the disciples to to find the man with the water, which was unusual in that day and age, to follow him to the house and there to prepare this Passover meal that they're going to share together. And it said, if you remember, it said that Jesus wanted to share that meal with them. And so they're going to share this meal that Jesus is setting before them. Jesus clearly had an understanding of what was coming, even to the point of the betrayal that Judas was going to uh, walk in against his Savior and Lord. So we we really highlighted the the authority of Jesus, the idea that he, this is not a plan B, this is plan A. Jesus is coming, he's given his life, he's laying down his life. Even though all of these things are happening, the, the high priests are And the the religious leaders are working to kill Jesus. Rome ends up being the actual executioner. And Judas is the betrayer. But all of this is being worked out by a sovereign and holy God. According to plan A. The perfect gospel plan. To redeem a people in need of redemption. We looked at 
John 10, 17 and 18, where Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, Jesus always, in everything, submitted to the will of his Father. He walked in perfect, faithful obedience. And so today, as we, as we take this Passover meal, as we walk with him through it, and we see how the disciples are, are being led by Jesus through it, we also get to partake in Jesus' perfect righteousness. The table is set, and now the Passover meal begins. The Passover meal was a, a yearly celebration. Yearly celebration that the Jewish people, uh, the, the, the Hebrew people, the people of God would, would take and celebrate and participate in to remember the faithfulness of their God. How the Lord had saved and rescued and delivered them out of Egypt. We have a hard time imagining um, the, the gravity and the weight of that because we don't, we don't have an Egypt. We don't have this power. Maybe we are. I don't know. Maybe we are the powerhouse right now that, that people need to be delivered from. But this idea of, of a nation that was in complete and utter control and they were subjugating a people and enslaved a people that needed deliverance and freedom. We recap the rescue of Israel as Moses acted in obedience and ushered in God's judgment of Egypt. And he did it through the plagues. And then we got to the final plague and we looked at what did that Passover mean? This, this final plague was the killing of the firstborn. And it was a judgment that was for everyone. Like this, the, the promise of God was that he would slay every firstborn except for those who had the the, the blood of the lamb painted over their doorposts. And in that moment, the angel would come and he would pass over. But it was a judgment that was for everyone. And yet God provided a way of salvation for his people who would follow in faithful obedience. Listen, today we're going we're gonna to put a lot of stock in, in faith. But forever, since the beginning of time, anyone who took hold of anything that God had given them took hold of it by faith. The rescue that the Israelites received out of Egypt was taken a hold of by faith. They had to have faith that if they took the lamb, the perfect lamb, and, and killed it and painted the blood over the doorstep, that that would actually save them from God's judgment. They had to believe that A, God was going to judge, and B, he would rescue those who would walk by faithful obedience. Today we do the same thing. We take hold of the good things, the promises of God by faith. The blood of the lamb over the doorpost protected the people of God from the just wrath of God. I hope you've gone back and I hope you've read the story maybe this week or, or maybe in the following week get a chance to go and read the story because th there's a reason that the, the people of Israel would celebrate this every year. It's, it's an amazing story. The first 15 chapters of Exodus, when you begin to read them, you're like, man, that is crazy. That is awesome. Plagues? Deliverance, right? A hardened heart, a Pharaoh who, who wanted to kill the people and, and kept going back on his word, and then finally God comes with the, the final plague, 
and rescues the people, and then they have to get through the Red Sea, and somehow that Red Sea parts, and then it closes back up. Like, this is an amazing story. It's a story that should be celebrated. And so, sometimes we get caught up in some of the highlights, and we can miss, like, this beautiful story. I'd encourage you to read it. But at the end of Exodus 12, where we spent some time last week, it says this. This day, Exodus 12, 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. That's what God is telling his people. Remember, you're going to have this feast to remember how I have delivered you, how I have redeemed you, that I have always been God and you have always been my people. The promise from the beginning. And this is where we find Jesus. Jesus. Walking his disciples through this story. The story of God's faithfulness to his people. There's a reason that Jesus said, listen, I want to share this Passover with you. I want us to remember together. And he's walking them through and saying, listen, this is the faithfulness of God to you as people. To us as people. So this is the past meal. This is what they're remembering but what happens very quickly in Mark's account, and it's, it's a very short account. If you want a longer account, you can go over to Luke's gospel and read it. He's, he's much more into the details. Probably has something to do with being a doctor and those types of things. But Luke's details are always a little, little more built out. But Mark jumps right into the action and he hits all the main points. And what does he do? He says in verse 22, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And said, take, this is my body. See, as we continue just through this first verse of the passage, we see that Jesus does something different as he brings the past into the present. Jesus passes the bread and says, take, this is my body. In the context of this Passover meal, this is outrageous. This is something different. Many scholars believe that Mark is entering the narrative between the second and third cups of the meal. If you know anything about the Passover meal, there's four cups that are taken, and and each of the cups remembers one of the aspects of God's deliverance of the people out of Egypt. So if that's the case, that, that we're entering in this moment between the second and third cups, it's a very somber moment when the bread should be passed in silence. So the fact that Jesus says something in this moment is unheard of. Jesus knows this. He's the best rabbi and teacher that's ever walked. He knows Scripture better than anybody. He knows how to follow the law and how to walk in these things perfectly. Being a devout and obedient Jew... This wouldn't be the first time Jesus had walked his disciples through the Passover. If he spent three years with them, they've already done this. But they've probably done it in a different way. And so when Jesus is walking them through this time, they get to the point that they're all familiar with, and yet he he changes things. He speaks and he says, take, this is my body. See, the presider would use words from Deuteronomy 26 to 
bless the elements. And this is from uh, Tim Keller and his Jesus the King, which is a, a great book about the Gospel of Mark, if you get a chance to read it. But he says that the presider, in this case would, being Jesus, would use the words of Deuteronomy 26 to bless the elements, the bread, the herbs, the lamb, by explaining how they were symbolic reminders of various aspects of the early Israelites' captivity and deliverance. For example, he would show them the bread and say, this is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. Jesus was the presider at this Passover meal with the disciples, and Mark recounts what happened when Jesus raised the third cup. Imagine the astonishment of the disciples when blessing the elements and explaining their symbolism, Jesus departs from the script that has been reenacted by generation after generation. He shows them the bread and says, this is my body. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, this is the bread of my affliction, the bread of my suffering, because I'm going to lead the ultimate exodus and bring you the ultimate deliverance from bondage. Jesus is taking a known thing to the disciples. They know the deliverance of God in the actual physical slavery and bondage of Egypt that God saved his people. And Jesus is pointing to something even more real and more true that goes beyond just the people of Israel but to all of humanity, that we are enslaved to sin, that we are in bondage to sin. And Jesus is looking back at God's faithfulness and teaching his disciples about how God is continuing his faithfulness. As radical as it is, it shouldn't catch the disciples by surprise. According to John's gospel, Jesus has already explained this deep truth to them. If you look at John 6, 53 through 58, this is um, earlier in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to them, speaking to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is saying by eating this bread, representative of his body, he's inviting the disciples to participate in his life. For us today, that means that we're invited to participate and walk in the life and righteousness of Christ. It's beautiful, and I think we, we overlook it. Often we jump, I know in my own life, I jump straight to the, uh, the, the work of the blood that it cleanses and washes me, and, and I, I no longer have to deal with the sin and shame, and we're going to look at that in a minute, but the reality is that, that the, the body of Christ that has been given for me, that if I eat and take of it, I abide in Christ, and He abides in me. His righteousness is then displayed in my life, and I, I can truly walk in obedience to my God because I'm walking in the faithfulness and obedience of Jesus. I can please God. I can worship God with my life. That's beautiful. I love verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That's what it means to be the disciples of Christ. That's what it means to be the church. That what, that's what it means to be 
believers is that we would abide in Christ. That everything that we say and do now is affected, transformed, needs to be conformed to who God is and what he's done for us. My life is not my own. It's been purchased. Similar to the bread, Jesus redefines the meaning of the third cup. He says this as he continues on. Verse 23, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus is pointing to God's continued faithfulness to redeem a wayward, rebellious, disobedient people through the blood offering. Do you hear the echoes of Isaiah 53? We read it last week, but these echoes of the suffering servant who would go all the way to the cross, who would be obedient even to the point of death. Echoes of the lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear the resonance of the words of Jesus that we keep, keep going over and over in Mark 10.45 where he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the goal of Jesus the whole time. He knows where he's going and he walks in faithful obedience. He knows that he is that suffering servant sent to save a wayward people. Matthew's gospel makes it even more clear why this blood is spilled. He says, For this is my body, or this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When we get to this point in the story, we need to just continue to say, What is the truth that we have? What is the good news that we have? And it's that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. This is the gospel message that, that we, we are sinners and God is holy. And we already talked about it in the prayer of confession. So if those two things are true, and God being holy doesn't just mean that he's good, it also means that, that he's just. So he can't just forget sin. He can't just let it go. There has to be a, a right payment for it. And so Jesus has come because we couldn't pay for our own sin. God Himself came in the form of man, walked perfect obedience all the way to the cross, poured out His blood for you and for me. At the cross, Jesus atoned for our sin. He bore the wrath of God in our place. And we're going to see that in these next coming weeks. That at the crucifixion, Jesus was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. The sin, the, the, the punishment of sin was laid on him so that we would never receive that punishment. If we are in Christ and we abide in him, and we eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, which is kind of a crazy thing to say, but it's so tangible and true. Like we are united to Christ. This is the gospel. And he didn't just stay dead. He rose again to show that, that he is the one. He is the Messiah. The one who could actually make the payment for you and for me. And so Jesus is at the table and he's sharing this with his disciples. People that he genuinely loves. People that he genuinely cares for. People that he is walking with and, and sharing this great truth with them. 
But they don't have anything special to sit at this table. Actually, just they happen to be the ones that he's called at that moment and are sitting with him. But there's nothing that delineates them from you and from me. They're not superheroes. They don't even get it right most of the time. I love the way James Edwards describes this table that Jesus has set for his disciples. He says this, Finally, the phrase poured out for many, although it is symbolized in the pouring of the wine, becomes reality not in the wine of the upper room, but in Jesus' death on Golgotha. Obviously, neither baptism nor any other rite is a prerequisite for the meal. The only prerequisite at this meal is need. Mark is the only gospel writer who adds, and they all drank from it. The all echoes throughout the remainder of the chapter, recalling both the grace of Jesus and the failure of the disciples. They all drank, verse 23. They all swear allegiance to Jesus, verse 31. But they all fall away, verse 27. And they all fled, verse 50. The original Last Supper is attended by traitors and cowards. It is a table not of merit, but of grace. That's good news for you and I today. We get to come to this table of grace, bringing nothing and gaining everything, nothing but our need, our need for a Savior. And He's met us in that place of need sufficiently, once and for all. This is the table that Jesus has set for the disciples, the tables that He's inviting them to. Finally, we get to the last verse Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. We have a future meal. He points to the future meal that, are, that is for those that are His. What does that mean, the kingdom of God? I thought, we already, I thought we've already established this, that Jesus comes and He says, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Many scholars and teachers think that Jesus is talking hear about the consummation of Jesus' kingdom when he returns in glory, when he comes again as the as a one who will conquer sin and death, establish a new heaven and a new earth. And if that's the case, then it points us to a future meal we will share with Jesus. Revelation 19, 6-9 says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Jesus is announcing at the end of this that, listen, we're not going to share another cup until we celebrate the, the consummation, the finished work of Christ. And this is, you got to remember, this is Thursday night. Tomorrow, in their time, tomorrow, He is going to go to the cross. It's very tangible for them. It's very tangible for Jesus that, hey, the reality is that I'm finishing the work tomorrow, but there will come a day where we will all celebrate the fullness of it forevermore. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We will enjoy unity with Christ, like actually sitting with Him. Now, listen, I've been thinking about this this week, and I think that probably like 
all of the, the people had an expectation of the Messiah and really interpreted it to mean what they hoped it would mean. I probably do the same thing with Christ's second coming. I, I don't know. It, it looks pretty clear in Scripture what, what's going to happen, but, but not clear enough that it's going to fit my perfect plan, my perfect idea. But I know that it's going to be beautiful. I know that it's going to be satisfying. I know that it's going to be something that I've never experienced completely here on earth. And yet, we have moments of intimacy with our God. Moments where we see Him, where our eyes are opened and we experience a unity with Him, whether that's in communion or whether that's a time in prayer. But imagine if that never ended. And it was even better than anything you've ever experienced or imagined. That's the promise that we have in the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be with our God. We will be His people. But Jesus closes the meal prematurely. He doesn't get to the the fourth cup. And in verse 26 it says that they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. But that's true. Like, what, what what about the completion? What's going on? Daniel Aiken, in his commentary, puts it this way. He says, Jesus brings things to a close by refusing to drink the fourth and final cup. It's a cup of consummation and life in the promised land of God. For that cup, he will wait. First, he must drink to the last drop the cup of God's wrath and justice. Apart from it, no cup of blessing would be possible. Jesus is pointing to the the fact that tomorrow, he's going to drink another cup. He's going to drink the cup of God's wrath that, that we actually deserve. Because of our sin, because of our selfishness. Because we have defied God and in rebellion said, I can live on my own. We deserve the cup of God's wrath. But just like the Passover, where the the judgment was going to be poured out on all people because we all deserve that, and, and even the Israelites had fallen away from God, God gave them a promise that if they would walk in faith, if they would believe in faith, if they would paint the blood over their doorsteps, that He would pass over them. God has done the same thing. By sending us His Son, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. That if we would believe that His blood has been poured out for us, then today we too can walk in the promise of God. We would not drink the cup of God's wrath, but drink the cup of His mercy. And today we get to do that. What does this meal mean? Well, for the disciples, it was threefold. It was first, remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember what He's done. Remember how He has rescued the people. It was a a call to abide, to rest in the faithfulness of Jesus, that what He was doing, that everything that He was teaching them, He would complete and He would finish. And they could abide in Him. And it was a hope. A hope of a future fulfillment. The restoration when the redeemed of the Lord would join Him in glory. And we have those same promises today. We acknowledge them as we partake the Lord's Supper. I think one of the things to think about even as we take the Lord's Supper is the, the, the idea that this very spiritual and very real um, atonement that Jesus has done on the cross is something that we take hold of by faith, but He's also given us something to actually take hold of. Something to hold and taste and feel. Like when you take the cup, you remember. 
When you take the bread, it, it actually meets all of the senses, the way that God has created us as humans to, to remember the fullness of what Jesus has done on the cross. God is so kind to us. He really is. We get to remember it weekly, but you don't have to wait until communion to remember who Christ, what Christ is and what he's done for you, who Christ is and what he's done for you. You get to do that whenever you pause and take a moment. I think there's one more thing that we, we take from this. We have a daily ability to walk in the righteousness of Christ. We are assaulted by, um, the, by Satan who would want to tear us down, who would want to destroy us. And so every week, every day, every hour, every minute, we recall ways that we have failed God. And yet, the Spirit is working in our hearts to remember this truth, that I don't have to stand on my own righteousness. I have a lamb who was slain for me, a perfect lamb. And so, I'm not going to listen to your lies or believe them anymore, but I'm going to walk in the truth of what that means. That if Jesus' atonement was sufficient, that I don't have to walk in sin anymore. I get to walk in the righteousness of Christ. I don't have to believe your lies anymore. I get to believe the truth of what has happened long before I was even born, God had a plan for me and for you that he would redeem us. And he executed that plan perfectly. And while we experience it partially and, and sometimes momentarily now, there's going to come a time where we're going to experience it completely. And it's already done. Like That's that already not yet piece that we really struggle with and that I struggle with. Like How, do, how are both those things true? And yet today, when we come, come to the table, we remember that Christ's atonement is sufficient for us. This morning, if you're here and you're like, man, some of this is crazy. You're talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. You're talking about a, a spiritual and a physical, and I don't see how those things work together. Maybe you're just really wrestling with Listen, you're talking about faith a lot, and I don't even know what that is. You're in a good place. We get to do this together. We get to wrestle with this together. We get to, to forget and remember together. But maybe today the Lord is working in your heart, and he would say, listen, my blood has been poured out for you, and it's sufficient. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you, that it would take hold of that, that you would believe it, that you'd stand in that, and for those of us that have, have said, yes, that's true about me, that today we would stand again and we'd say, listen, God, you are sufficient. Your blood that's been poured out is sufficient for the forgiveness of my sins. Your body that has been given to me, you've given me access to your righteousness and to your, to your life so that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I pray that we would walk in those things today. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we get to sit at the table. That just as you prepared this table for the disciples, Lord, you have prepared the table of grace for us. God, and as they remembered back, they also looked forward to what you would do the next day where you would go to Calvary where your life would be taken, but, but more than taken, your life would be laid down. 
God, and then three days later, you would rise again, proving that all of this is true, proving that you have defeated sin and death, that that those who are in Christ no longer have to walk and live in the same way, but we get to live in your righteousness. God, I pray that we would do that today. Lord, I pray that if there's some here who would say today is the day of salvation for me, Lord, we rejoice in that. We pray that you would do it. We thank you that you're faithful and just, that you are patient and kind. Lord, would you save and would you remind us again of the joy of our salvation? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.